Today we're going to continue our series on faith, where we're basically going to start talking about, we're, talking, we're going to kind of go through some of the legends of faith, some of our heroes that we, that's found in sort of the Hall of Fame, Hall of Fame of Faith that we find in Hebrews. And so today I want to talk about Rahab. Okay, so um, if you have your Bible, you might want to turn to Joshua chapter 2, um, which I'm going to read in a second. But before I do, if you can get to the next slide, please. I'm going to quickly read from Hebrews 11:31, And it says, By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had received the spies in peace. And I'm going to turn to Joshua chapter 2. And it goes like this. Then Joshua, the son of Nun, sent two men secretly from Shittim to a spy, saying, Go and view the land, especially Jericho. So they went and entered the house of a prostitute whose name was Rahab, and they spent the night there. The king of Jericho, who was told some Israelites, was told some Israelites have come here tonight in search out, to search out the land. Then the king of Jericho sent orders to Rahab, Bring out the men who have come to you, who entered your house, for they have come only to search out the whole land. But a woman took the two men and hid them. Then she said, True, men came to me, but I do not know where they came from. And when it was time for the gate to close, when it was time to close the gate at dark, the men went out. Where the, where the men went to, I do not know. Pursue them quickly, for you can overtake them. She had, however, brought them up to the roof and hidden them, um, with the, hidden them with the stalks of flax that she had laid out on the roof. Then the men pursued them on the way to the Jordan as far as the fords. As soon as the pursuers had gone out, the gate was shut. Before they went to sleep, she came up to, to, came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that, that the Lord has given you the land and that dread has fallen on us all, and that all of the inhabitants of the land melt with fear before you. For we have heard how the Lord has dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of Amorite that were before you, what were beyond the Jordan, and Sihon and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. As soon as we heard it, our hearts melted, there was, no, there was no courage left in any of us because of you. The Lord your God is indeed God of heaven above and the earth below. Now then, since I, since I have dealt kindly with you, swear to me by the Lord that you return, will deal kindly with my family. Give me a sign of good faith that you will spare my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, and deliver our lives from death. Then the men said to her, Our life for years. If you do not tell this business of ours, then we will be, deal kindly and faithfully with you when the Lord gives us this land. Then she let them down by a rope through the window, for her house was on the outside of the city wall, and she resided within the house itself. She said to them, Go Go towards, the hill, go towards the hill country so that the pursuers may not come, come upon you 
Hide yourselves there for three days until the pursuers have returned. Then afterwards you may go your way. Then the men said to her, We, we will be released from this oath that, we have made us, made, that you have made us swear to you if we invade your land and you do not tie this crimson cord in the window through which you let us down. And you do not gather into your house your father and mother and your brothers and all your family. If, you, if, you go, if any of you go out of the doors of this house into the streets, then they shall be responsible for their own death. And we shall be innocent. But if any hand is laid upon you, any of you who are in the house, we shall bear the responsibility of your death. But if you tell this business of ours, then we shall be released from this oath that you made us swear to you. She said, according to your words, so be it. Then she sent them away and they departed. Then she tied a crimson cord in the window. Hmm. A really famous story of Rahab. Now, before I get into the, the, the sort of faith aspect of Rahab, I, I thought it would be really good to just talk about Rahab herself. Okay? Who is Rahab? And so I've, I've, I've got a list of titles, and um, I want to go through them, and then, before, then get, get into this faith aspect. Before we get into this faith aspect, I really want to get ahead around who is Rahab. Now, the first title is Sinner. The Bible says she's a prostitute. Okay, now, so, so putting to, put to one side any sort of kind of modern, sort of contemporary view of the sex trade, you know, classic Jewish and Christian thinking is that if you're a prostitute, then you're a sinner. You know, you're an immoral person. Um, you sleep for money. And, and so the fact is, anyone reading this text for the first time would have understood that Rahab was a sinner. Okay, so that's the first title. The second title is Victim. I know what you're thinking, eh? Victim, where does that come from? Now, when I was looking at this text, I was looking at lots of commentaries of this text, one of the things that keeps coming back up when you look at the various commentaries is that the various scholars find it interesting, um, or how do I pull it, they find what the spies do, they chose a very interesting place to have a stakeout. Um, and so... Um, some people will jump into the defense of the spies and say, actually, going to a brothel is a great place to get intel. And, you know, that might be the case. But it's probably not the only good place to get intel. And, and so the question still remains. Why did they stay at the house of a prostitute? Now, not one scholar, to be fair, officially accuses the spies of sleeping with Rahab. However, by what they write, they kind of you get the sense that they're kind of thinking it. And so, um, in fact, what, what they also say is in some of the text itself, there is a sense of subtle innuendo. And so, so, and so maybe the motives of the spies are perhaps not as pure as you'd like to think they are. In other words, the spies are not heroes. You know, they're not perfect, they're not goody-two-shoes. Um, they're not even great spies, come to think of it. Um, you know, I'm not an expert on espionage, but from my understanding, when you, when you are a spy, the people you're spying on are not really supposed to find out. Um, well, in this story, they do find out. In fact, they don't even last two verses. They get sent out in verse one, and by verse two, the game is up. In fact, they spend more days hiding in the hills than they do actually in the town spying. 
So they're not particularly great spies. Um, I, I don't see them as great heroes. They're men. And it's possible that some of their motives wasn't as pure as you like to think they are. And now with contemporary thinking, bearing in mind that these, are, these guys are coming from, from a, position, a, a place of power, you might also consider Rahab a victim as well. So she's a sinner, but she's also a victim. But she's also a nobody. And why do I say she's a nobody? Well, there's a couple of clues in the scripture why people will consider her a nobody. The first is where she lives. The Bible says she lives in the wall. She actually lives inside the wall of Jericho, um, which basically means um, she, her custom comes from both sides. She gets um, custom from men from inside the city, so local of her own people, but she also gets custom from foreigners from outside the city. And so basically she, she sleeps with everybody. And so even within her own society, she's seen as pretty low down. She's, kind of a, she's, kind of, she's not like a high-class escort. She's quite low down. She's a nobody. Um, the, the second clue we have is her name, the name Rahab. The name Rahab is not really a proper name. Um, the name basically means prostitute. So, you know, her parents have some high hopes for her, clearly. Um, some low-expectation parents. Um, to be fair, you know, this is, I, I suspect that Rahab probably wasn't her birth name. Um, I suspect that she had a, a much nicer birth name, but over the years she has um, acquired, inherited the name Rahab because of who she is and what she does for a living. Um, to be technical about the name Rahab, Rahab basically means vast or broad or wide. And so if you were to call a lady Rahab, what you're doing, you're making a very derogatory, um, there's a sort of sexual connotation type comment about the vastness and the, the breadth and the, and the width of a part of her anatomy because she's a prostitute. It's actually very not, it's not a nice name. It's a cruel name. It's quite a sick name, really. But that's the point. They don't care. She's a nobody. They can call her wherever they want to. And so you have this interesting character in the Bible who's a sinner, who's a victim, and in the eyes of men and women, she's a nobody. And yet in this story, she's the hero. In this story, she's the hero. Not the spies. No, Rahab's the hero. And she's not just any hero. Rahab goes down to become one of the greatest heroes in both the Jewish and the Christian faith. Now, I appreciate that. I probably made one or two of you feel slightly uncomfortable. Perhaps five or six of you. Nine, nine or ten of you? Okay, everyone's feeling slightly uncomfortable right now. Um, and the question is, why are we uncomfortable? Well, I think we're uncomfortable because this is what we, we're quite good at the idea that the people of God are quite contained and are quite holy and they're quite good. We, we're good with that. And we're quite contained with the idea, content with the idea that someone is bad um, and they're quite clearly bad and they can sort of turn from the ways and join a good group. And that's good. We're good with that too. Where we struggle is if the people of God are perhaps not as perfect as you like to think they are. And where we also might struggle is when the sinner... Um, Perhaps there's, there's some other more circumstances that makes the whole thing a little bit more um, complicated than we initially thought it was. And what really does a head in, 
Now, what else? What really does a head in is that God can see all this mess, and yet God can cope with it. And more than that, he can see this messy situation and this broken woman, and she is broken. She is absolutely broken. And he can look at her and make her a hero. And so it, for me, this story, I love this story because it's, it's awkward and awesome. Awkward for us, awesome for God. It's a great story. Only in the Bible would you get a story like this. It's an amazing story. And so she's a hero. In, in God's eyes, she's a hero. And the Bible says she becomes a hero because of her faith. So I want to talk through three elements of her, three aspects of her faith that makes her this wonderful hero, that gets her in this hall of fame or faith. The first aspect is action. Okay, she's an action girl. Um, if you look at the story, you know, she, she basically tells us that she knew who those guys were. She knew that they were spies from the Israelites. She knew the story. She knew that they came from Egypt. She knew about the Red Sea. She knew about, you know, just that God was with them. She believed that their God was the true God. And she knew that God was going to do something. And she, and she believed that actually maybe God can do something with her. And so what did she do? She acted. She didn't think about it. She didn't even pray about it. She did something. She put action with her faith. James you know, it, it talks about Rahab and he says, Likewise, was not Rahab the prostitute, in case you've forgotten, also justified by works when she welcomed a messenger and sent them out by another road. Basically, she walked, she walked her faith. She didn't just pray, she didn't just think it, she did something. Now, as Protestants, you know, we, we, I think we struggle with works, don't we? We don't like works. Works is a, is a real no-no for us Protestants. And so, when it comes to faith, we tend to think of faith more like a noun. It's like an object or frame of, frame of mind or way of thinking. You know, we close our eyes and we try to conjure up faith. If I can close my eyes tight enough and think hard enough, then my faith will grow. But biblically, and in this story, faith is, is not a noun. It's a verb. Faith is something you do. Faith is an action. If you believe in God, you act accordingly. You don't have to close your eyes. You don't have to get intense about it. If you believe God's going to do something, then act and do something in response to how you believe in God. Now, you know, we're moving into this, what I like to call now, season of 2020. We had a vision of 2020. We kind of renamed it to the goals. We're kind of moving into a season. It's a season of 2020. It's a new, it's a new season for us as a church. And for us, you know, we all have faith for what God can do. But I kind of feel there's a sense that at the moment our faith is like a noun faith. It's, it's, it's there, but it's like a noun. It's kind of it's like an object. It's, it's in our minds, but we now need to move it to be a verb faith. It's got to become something that we live, something that we do, something that we walk in. You know, we need to make decisions, um, real, real decisions, the real life-changing decisions in order for this stuff to happen, which is what Rahab did. So the first aspect of Rahab's faith is that it's, it's an action. The second aspect is that I like to call faith as praxis. Get to the next slide, please. Okay, so this is the nice bit of the story. This is the bit we all love, the crimson cord. As Christians, we all love the crimson cord. In fact, to be honest, if it wasn't for the crimson cord, we probably wouldn't read the story. 
This is what make, this is the bit we all look forward to when we read the story of Rahab. Now, for the benefit of those who, who perhaps are not so familiar with the story, the Crimson Cord is what's known as a motif. Now, Ken last week gave us a great example of a motif. He said that uh, the Moses basket is a motif of Noah's Ark. Okay, so there's something in one story that points back to something in another story. Okay, so that was a great example. Now, the Crimson Cord is also a motif. Um, it's something in this story, and that points back to the Passover in a previous story. Now, the Passover was the tenth and final plague that God inflicts upon the Egyptians. Okay? The, the, the Israelites were slaves to Egyptians, and God wants to set them free. And he inflicts all these plagues to, let's say, encourage the Egyptians to set them free. Now, this final plague goes like this. God was going to send an angel of death to, to wipe out all the firstborn of the Egyptians. Um, but to, so to, dis, to differentiate between the houses of the Egyptians and the Israelites, what God said, I want you to find a, a lamb, a ble, unble, an unblemished lamb. I want you to kill the lamb. And I want you to paint the blood over the doorposts. And then with the rest of the lamb, you don't waste it, you, you actually eat it. You have, a, you have a, a wonderful sort of lamb shank dinner. And I'm, I'm getting very hungry now, now, now I'm thinking about it. So what happens is the angel of death comes over. And when he sees the blood on the Israelites' house, because it, it, it's marked, the angel of death passes over that house. Okay? It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a really famous story. And so going back to this story, um, we, don't, we don't have a lamb. Um, there's no blood on the doorpost. But what we have is a crimson cord hanging out of a window. But it's been used in the same way. The sense that actually it's, the house has now been marked. So that in this case, when the, when the Israelite army comes... They know not to destroy it. Now, as Christians, we get very excited because actually we, we think of it as a motive, almost like a forward motive, um, to, to Jesus, don't we? We think, you know, we, there's a real sense that actually this is Jesus on the cross. And, and just like Jesus on the cross um, protects us from the destructive consequences of our sin, in the same way she's being protected um, from destruction. But I want to add another way of thinking about it too. Remember, she knows the story of the Israelites. She knows about the Exodus. So in a sense, by her tying this cord on the window, it's almost like a step of faith and saying, actually, I'm putting myself in that story. No, I'm not an Israelite, and I haven't got any blood to put on, my, on the doorpost, but by tying this rope, simply by doing this mundane action, that's a step of faith. I'm putting myself in that story. I'm making myself like an Israelite. And so that's why I call it praxis. Because praxis basically means an action or practice or custom that you do. It can be mundane. From outside of looking at it, you're like, well, why do you bother? But you do it anyway. Because by doing it, it's a step of faith. Just by doing it, that's a step of faith. Okay? And so there's, there's some wisdom in that, I think. Now, again, as Protestants, we, we're not very good at praxis. Um, but first of all, let me encourage you, we all do it. We all do it at least once a month. So take communion. Communion is a praxis. We all do it. In one sense, it's mundane. It's plain bread. It's you know, cheap grape juice. Um, and we eat it and we drink it. And um, from the outside of looking in, it's like, why do you bother? But we do it anyway. Why? Because it's a step of faith. The Bible says every time we do it, 
We confess Jesus died. We confess Jesus came back from the dead. And we confess that Jesus come back again. It's a step of faith. It's a praxis. It's one that we all do. What I'm trying to say is actually there's some wisdom. To, for, as you're trying to grow as a people of faith, there's some wisdom actually in building up some of this praxis stuff in our lives more, more in general. Let me give you an example. I know of a, a great Christian who's got a wonderful prophetic gift. So, you know, some often on, in church, on a Sunday morning, he would give a wonderful word, and he's just spot on. Really wonderful prophetic gift. And I was speaking to him once, and he, and he confided to me. He said, no, Richard, you know what I do? Every Sunday morning, I put some time outside, time outside, and I pray to God. I said, God, what have you got for me this Sunday morning? Every Sunday. Almost religiously, he does this. And things, he, he doesn't always want to do it. It's not like every morning he's keen. Sometimes he's not in the mood. Sometimes he wakes on the wrong side of the, on the bed that morning. But he does it anyway. Because for him, that's a statement of faith. He's saying, I believe you could speak to me. So I'm going to keep doing it. Regardless of how I feel, regardless of what's going on that week, I'm just going to do it. Because that's a statement of faith. And so there's something quite powerful in that. One more point about practice. Practice is not only a statement of faith. But there's also a sense it can actually ignite faith. It can grow faith. It can be generative of faith. So I was told, um, I have been told that actually, um, in the Muslim faith and the Jewish faith, um, I've been told that they've got a better track record. This is, this, is, this is difficult to hear, even for me. They've got a better track record of passing on their faith to their children. And, I was, and that caught my attention. I thought, well, why is that then? And they said, well, when they pass things on to their children, I mean, you all do, they don't just pass on their beliefs. You know, we believe in this, we don't believe in that. They also pass on some of their practices from, from quite young on, from quite a young age. And so the idea is by the time the kids become like, teenagers, become adults, not only have they learned their beliefs, but some of the practices have become part of their DNA. And the JC said because of that, there's a high mathematical probability that they will continue with the faith. And I thought that was interesting. I just thought that was interesting, that there's, you know, there's some perhaps quite generative about doing things, even when you don't feel like it. Being, being faithful and doing things, you know, this sense of action is, is quite powerful. You know, we heard of, we've all heard the phrase, action speaks louder than words. There's, there's something quite powerful there. And I think this has been wonderfully demonstrated in the story. Now, the first aspect of faith demonstrated now, this might come across as being a little bit left field. Next slide. The love of enemy. Now, that, now you might think, well, where does that come from? Well, you have to go back to Hebrews. In Hebrews, it says, by faith Rahab didn't perish because she received the spies in peace. Now, that caught my eye for two reasons. First of all, for us, what's famous about the story is the crimson cord. But that gets, doesn't get mentioned in Hebrews. That what, that, that's not the thing that got mentioned. What got mentioned is that she received the spies in peace. And I, I'm again thinking about that, and it, and it dawned me, of course, hold on, the spies are not her friends. The spies are her enemies. They're there to kill her people. To be honest, they're there to kill her family. Um, they don't like her. They don't like their friends or anything. They don't like their, I mean, they have no grams in killing her, really. And yet... She shows them peace. And she does it because she believes that God can do something. 
And, that, and that's a real step of faith. She makes herself vulnerable, I should say. And by, and she, by doing that, that's a step of faith. And, if, and it's that faith, that aspect of faith, that gets mentioned in the Hebrew. It's that act of faith, you could say, that kind of gets her the nod and gets her in the Hall of Fame. That's, that's the thing. That, that's what gets to the vote. That's the thing that God notices the most, that you loved your enemy. And it shouldn't be that much of a surprise because that's a kind of Jesus-like thing to do. It's a kind of sort of thing that Jesus would probably encourage us to do. It's kind of a Sermon on the Mount thing to do. So it shouldn't really surprise us. And I think actually as a church, it, it, there's a lesson for us here to learn that actually... Um, Look, okay, we don't have any enemies. Let, let me, let's be clear. As, as, as British people, we don't really have enemies in the same way. I know in other countries, they've got some serious persecution, and it's, yeah, I get that. But in this country, actually, we've got it pretty cushy. But we do have strangers, and we do have people that we're not comfortable with, and people we don't feel necessarily safe around. And, and in the same way, I feel that God is challenging us. Actually, we need to become a people who can welcome the stranger, who can, who can make us vulnerable, if necessary, to engage a stranger. Because, again, I'm thinking about this new season. As you move into a different season, where we're going to be engaging with a lot more different people, this, this, this here might be make or break for us. Our ability to love the, the, not just our neighbour, but thy stranger might become make or break for us. So it's a really important aspect of faith. Can we trust God enough to believe that he could do something when we love the stranger? Do we believe it? Not just say it, but do we actually believe it to actually walk in that way? So that's a challenge for us. Okay, let's, let's, let's move on to the next slide. I can quickly read towards the, the sort of end of the story. Joshua said to the two men who had spied out the land, "Go into the prostitute's house and bring out the woman, and bring the woman out of it, and all who belong to her, as you swore to her." So the young men who had been spies went in and brought out Rahab, along with her father, her mother, her brothers, and all that belonged to her. They brought out all her kindred and set them outside of the camp of Israel. As I hear, the Bible basically says, her faith pays off. Her faith comes good. What's interesting is, is, is that there's actually a bit of a kind of ripple effect. And that it's not just her that's saved. Okay? Her family's saved too. Her, uh, her, all those associated with her are saved as well. And so there's a kind of ripple effect when it comes to faith. It, it, like the beneficiaries of faith are not so just you. In this case, it wasn't just Rahab, but it was also her family. And for me, that's quite exciting, but also a bit of a solemn reminder to me, because it, there's more at stake here, guys. There's more at stake. There's more people who are impacted by how we walk in faith. It has an impact on our family. It has an impact on our friends. It has an impact on all those people who are connected with us in our world, around us. It's not just us. It's not like, well, if I don't bother, then, okay, it's just me. But actually, there's more people relying on your act of faith. 
There's more at stake here. And so her act of faith transforms her life, yes, but it also transforms her family life. But that's not all. Now, if I was to read a bit further, I was to go down to another chapter, a couple of verses, to verse 25. It says, actually, that her, her descendants, okay, um, they continue and they still live in Israel to this day. So there's two things here. First of all, this is not like a live recording. Okay, this, this story has been told ref- reflectively. So this, the person writing this in Joshua has written this hundreds of years after. And he's, and he's reflecting. He said, this is what happened. And then he says, today, as in now the present day, there's still descendants, there's a community of people in Israel that are descendants of Rahab. So basically now she's got a legacy. Okay, she's, initially she just saved her family, but now she's got a legacy. There's literally 100 years later, there's still people who are benefiting from my act of faith. Okay? And, and, and that's important because, again, we have no idea of the impact we can have on the world around us when we walk in faith. It doesn't just impact the, the media and the now. Okay, that's what we see. But it's actually beyond us, even when we're long gone, there's a, a, an impact that can happen when we walk in faith, which is quite powerful. But it doesn't just stop there either. Next slide, please. So if you were to read the Gospels and go to the Gospel of Matthew, you get to the beginning of Matthew, which for me, to be honest, I've got to confess, I'd normally skim through this bit. It's the genealogy of Jesus. It, I, I, you know, all the names I, I struggle to pronounce, I kind of skim through it. So you, know, you, so you can start reading through it, and you get to like, verse 5 and say, and, and Salmon, the father of Boaz, by Rahab, and Boaz, the father of Obed, by Ruth, and Obed, the father of Jesus. Oh, whoa, hold on. Go back a bit. Okay, Boaz, the father of Obed, by Ruth. No, before that. Salmon, the father of Boaz, by Rahab. Rahab? Rahab is in Jesus' genealogy? What, is a bit of Rahab in Jesus? See, it turns out that Jesus is part of Rahab's legacy as well. Wow. What a legacy. <laughs> and, and I think and you, you can probably take this further because if you, know, if, you look, if you listen to Paul, he says that we are as Christians in Christ. So you could say that all of us are part of our legacy as well. And you could even say that every time someone gives their life to Christ, her legacy continues. And I find that's, I think that's amazing. I think it's, I think it's an amazing aspect to her story, an amazing testimony to her faith, that this simple woman who I said, I told you at the beginning she was a victim, she was a nobody, has such a legacy. First it goes all the way to Christ, and it continues all the way to us. And I, and I like to believe that, that we can almost, you know, almost continue that legacy in a way that we continue to demonstrate faith. Now, we can learn from it. We can continue that legacy. We can show faith by being practical about it. It's a verb. It's an action thing. We can, we can demonstrate faith in the sense of putting in practices where you know, even when we don't feel like it, we're going to do it because we know it's, a, it's an act of faith and we believe God's going to do something. And also in the way we treat others, especially the outsider and, dare I say, even our enemies. Amen. Let's, let's close in prayer. Perhaps if anyone can come up, that would be really helpful. We've got a few minutes, so it would be nice to respond to this.
I, I appreciate I've said quite a lot of things this morning. I covered a lot of ground here. And, um, and so I, I guess there's a couple of things I wanted to say in terms of, of, of a response. First of all, when I talked about Rahab, I gave her a list of titles, which I can appreciate might be a trigger for some people. But for various reasons, perhaps not in quite an extreme case as hers, but I can imagine it might be a trigger for some people. Perhaps a sense of a worthlessness triggers something for you. But what I would like to remind you, this, what, what wonderful about this story, it's a real transformational story. You know, if anything, it really shows the power and the transformational power of God and the redemptional power of God. So if that's you, if, that, if something about those titles triggers something for you, I, I want to give you an opportunity to receive prayer. With, you know, and I appreciate you might not want to come to the front, but if you do, you can, and you, I would happily pray for you. But if you, but if you don't, find someone either sitting next to you or in the aisles and get them to pray for you. Please, please respond to that in that way. But I also think we need to respond in terms of our faith. Now, this series really is about trying to challenge our faith. I've been trying to challenge us on our faith, but, may, but being practical with our faith. Maybe some of you, I mean, Ali mentioned earlier, the sense we need to walk in faith. Maybe some of you, have been, you've been, there's things you believe God wants to do, and, and in fact, you know God wants to do it, but you haven't been walking. You've been thinking. Maybe you've been praying, and you've been talking, but you haven't been walking. You haven't been acting. You haven't been stepping out. And, and today, God is saying, you need to step out. This is a new season, and therefore it's a new opportunity to walk in faith. Enough of the talking. Enough of the praying. God has heard you. Now it's time to walk. Perhaps some of you, you need to... It's about discipline. Put some practices in your life. You want to see God do something, but, you, but you're not disciplined. You don't, you don't, you know, you, you've not got yourself into a sense of, I, I'm going to do that, I'm going to be faithful in this. You do things when you feel like doing it. When you don't feel like doing it, you don't bother. No, you need, you need a sense of praxis. You need a sense of, oh, I'm going to do it, because just by doing it, I know it's a step of faith. And God's going to do something. And maybe that's challenged you. Or maybe it's the love of enemies. Maybe there's people um, in, your, in your life, people on your mind, that when I say the word enemy or stranger, it kind of strikes a chord with you. And you don't want to speak to them. You don't want to be close to them. You don't want to make yourself vulnerable, but you're sensing God saying, I can do something if you would make yourself vulnerable. Now, if any of those things are true for you, I want you to respond. You can respond by coming up to the front and receiving prayer. Or you can respond by finding someone next to you. Or you can go, you know, bow, sometimes I used to bow down on my knees either in front of my chair or kneel on my, on my chair and do some business with God. But my encouragement is do something, respond. Let this response be an action response. Okay, don't just think about it, respond this morning. Can we all stand?